Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third lecture of 2010 Hillary Term Darcy Lecture Series. And this particular series is sponsored by Campion Hall, my gratitude, and we dedicate the lecture series of this term to the 400th anniversary of Mattel Ricci's passing. In the past two lectures, I shared with you two research works by Chinese scholars that focus on the growth of rural Christian communities in the 17th to the 18th century in Fujian province, southeast of China, and the life, and the life of Chinese Christians in the 21st century in Gansu province, northwest of China. In today's lecture, I would like to explore with you all yet another research completely different from previous works as we discussed in the first and the second lectures. This research was conducted by Dr. Fan Li Zhu, a woman sociologist of Shanghai Fudan University. Setting as the social background, the rapid economic development from the end of the 20th to the 21st centuries, the research explores the ways in which Chinese people are responding to growing spiritual awareness as reflected in the lives of a new generation of entrepreneurs, uh, the lives, a new generation of entrepreneurs in the rapidly advancing urban center, Shenzhen, a city on the south border of China. The name Shenzhen consists of two Chinese characters. One is Shen, the other is Zhen. And Shen means deep, and Zhen means drains, water drains. It was given such a name probably because of the fact that several small rivers all meet here before they flow into the ocean. So if we look at Shenzhen today, the city does not look too much different from many other metropolitan areas in China, with high-rise buildings dominating the skyline of the city, heavy traffic throughout the, the day, and hustling and bustling crowds everywhere. But if we just take our time and look at the city's most recent history, 100 years or so, the city is anything but the same as other cities in the country. Shenzhen, a city next to Hong Kong on the south border of China, is well known in many ways, small as it is. Following the loss of the first Opium War, as we described last time, Hong Kong was ceded to Britain in 1842. After another humiliating defeat as the result of the Second World War, Kowloon Peninsula was ceded to Britain in 1860. In 1898, the Convention for the Extension of Hong Kong Territories resulted in a 99-year lease of the new territories to Britain, a borderline drawn between China and the new territories at Shenzhen in that year, and it became a free, gate, a free gateway between China and Hong Kong until 1949. In fact, the borderline was no more than some stones or border stones that separate the colony from China along a ditch 
which dried up later during the Second World War and became a street, a locally well-known alley called Chongying Street, China Great Britain Street. To control the illegal immigrant and smuggles, a frontier close area was established in 1952, and Chongying Street for years was a symbol of colonialism on one side and communism on the other. And Luohu has been the ultimate gate between Hong Kong and China, and a checkpoint between the British colony and China before 1998, and still a border control station today, a symbol of one country and two systems. A regular train used to be running through Luohu between the mainland and Hong Kong, but it was stopped between the early 1950s to mid-1970s. Remaining traffic between China and Hong Kong was closely watched, and the area was carefully guarded by both sides during the period. Then Shenzhen remained to be primarily a small fishing village, and the life of the locals continued to be more or less the same for almost three decades between the 1950s and the 1970s. In spite of its insignificant economic productivity, which I will mention later on, it nevertheless held a highly sensitive political and strategic position between the closest vicinities to Hong Kong. Many of the expelled Western missionaries, for example, left China through Luohu, even during the height of the Cultural Revolution in the 1960s, and when news media was highly controlled by the Communist Party, and it was not even a secret that hundreds of people would swim across the waters, for better or for worse, and reach to Hong Kong illegally from Shenzhen area. But Shenzhen started to change from the early 1980s. With the new reform policies initiated by Deng Xiaoping, Shenzhen was identified as the first special economic zone, they call it SEZ, where business would enjoy, among many policies, significant benefits in trade and in investment from other countries, tax reduction, more flexible labor laws, etc., etc. Et the purpose to establish this experimental site for the rest of the country is to promote economic and technological exchange with foreign countries, as the Chinese government said at that time. Almost overnight, this sleeping rural community was woken up to a world that had never dreamed about in the past, and, and the entire Shenzhen economic zone, special economic zone, became a huge construction site overnight. Quickly, among others, electronic parts assembly lines imported from abroad quickly replaced the local farming uh, industry or farming uh, work. Small shopping stores were taken over by shopping alleys and more business in all forms and sizes were booming. Official statistics indicate that the city has been developing at a lightning speed. For example, the local population grew rapidly. 
in 1979, Shenzhen, including a few counties that were not included in the special economic zone, had a population of 310,000 people. By the year 2000, the total population in the area reached to over 7 million, becoming one of the fastest growing cities in the country. In terms of per capita GDP, after 20 years since the communists took over, the GDP per capita of the area in the mid-1970s was merely 600 yuan, about 60 pounds in today's money, and by today's exchange rate. However, by the year 2000, the GDP per capita grew to 39,745 RMB yuan, roughly about 3,725 pounds by today's exchange rate, becoming the highest per capita GDP city in the, in, in the entire country uh, by the year 2000. And incidentally, by 2009, Here's the, the population and here's the GDP. Population of 14,000 people and 93,000 RMB, which is about 8,700 pounds. Along with the economic development, quickly changing is the local demographics. The first wave of migrant workers consists of primarily laborers who came from the countryside and villages and sought for construction work and low-paying manufacturer jobs. As such businesses as high-tech financial trade and joint and foreign uh, adventures were establishing themselves in the region, and especially those who, were, uh, who had received higher education and diverse work experience came to Shenzhen and started occupying managerial positions. As a result, more than 80% of its residents were non-native born, and more than 90% of the residents were between the age of 15 to the age of 64. With two decades, Shenzhen changed completely. For the government, it was a symbol of success as an experiment for the practice of market economy, or socialism with Chinese characteristics. For the majority of its citizens, it is a magnet to truly realize a dream of what Deng Xiaoping once described, to be rich is glorious. It was against such a background that our Dr. Fan started her research. What she was trying to examine is the experience of spiritual growth of ordinary people in the midst of rapid social change and economic development in China. Although her research is centered more on a population of loosely defined as Buddhist believer, believers or even popular religion believers rather than Catholicism or Protestantism, the result is very meaningful for our understanding as an example of the spiritual desire and need among the urban Chinese population today. Historical research indicates that Catholic Church had its first presence in the area in 1960. The local churches belonged to the Hong Kong Diocese. However, activities were completely banned during the Cultural Revolution from 1966 to 1976. Even after the establishment of the Special Economic Zone, 
the small number of Catholics often held mass at their own homes, and priests had to be borrowed as they passed through the region on their way to other areas in China, as China gradually was opening up. There was no local parish church until the late 1990s. When the local patriotic church was officially established in 1999, there were approximately about 9,000 Catholics in the region attending services in five different local churches. The Protestant presence in Shenzhen started approximately at the same time when the Catholic Church uh, had is, started its um, operation. Similar to the Catholic Church, religious activities were completely banned during the Cultural Revolution again. It was not until 1983 that some of the church properties were actually returned. By the end of the 1990s, there were about 10,000 local Christians with 12 different churches in the region, so roughly about the same. Now, by the end of the 1990s, the only government-approved open-to-the-public Buddhist temple, Temple of Grand Principles and Teaching, within the, was opened within a botanic garden. Interestingly, when the ritual ceremony site was established in the early 1920s, uh, in the early 1920s or 1910s, um, at the current site, it was used for all local religious rites ceremonies, regardless of whether it was Buddhism, Taoism, even Confucianism. Nothing but ruins was left there before the night before 19, uh, 1980s, and an initial three million RMB from the government came uh, in the mid 1980s. So the the temple started with the government money, but later on, and a huge amount of funding from private donors, about 40 million in total. In the late, uh, in the mid 1990s, expanded the premise and brought the entire temple to the current state. It is very difficult uh, to estimate how many Buddhists in this region, though, and as we all know, that is, has been uh, the uh, situation for the entire country. Evidently, institutional religions, uh, religious life in Shenzhen was almost non in existence during the first 30 years of the People's Republic of China, even after the establishment of the special economic zone, such a life was slow in growing in comparison to the rapid economic growth in the region. With the majority of its population as non-native born, and the purpose, at least initial purpose, uh, of their presence, those uh, migrant workers is more economical than anything else, many would expect that Shenzhen might be the last city in China where researchers would explore human spiritual growth. As Daniel Obermeyer, a Canadian sociologist, uh, sociologist suggested, there were no strong religious traditions there anyway, and the inhabitants of Shenzhen are there as economic individuals who had left behind the old traditions of their families and hometowns. 
We should also keep it in mind that in addition to daily, challenge, uh, daily challenges of livelihood, hard working conditions, ecological uh, uh, degradation, and corruption and more coexisted with economic growth for the newly arrived migrant workers to Shenzhen. A significant number of migrants were educated, as I indicated earlier, and many of them were between the age of 20s and 30s at that time. They were identified as the 1949 generation, namely those who were born and grew up under the Mao Zedong era when extremely strong ideological dominance by the Communist Party, strict institutional control of one's mobility in life and employment, and severe limitation of financial freedom used to be part of their daily life. We also call this generation of people who grew up under the red flag. I belong to that generation. Less than 10 years after Mao's death, when his influence could still be felt deep and, deep and wide inland, this group of people began to experience some profound life change in Shenzhen. They, like everybody else at that time, came to Shenzhen for one purpose, to make money in order to have a better life. To them, the striking slogan posted on a on a Shenzhen street says it's all. Time is money and efficiency is life. Shenzhen offered, to begin with, a free market for jobs and income with competition. This was followed by a much re re relaxed social environment in which they could think independently and express themselves freely without having to be afraid of any political persecution. Such an experience of freedom led to a growing awareness of deep levels of personal decision-making that would produce effects far beyond their professions as they continued their lives in the city of Shenzhen. In order to understand the emerging patterns of the spiritual growth in modern China as reflected in Shenzhen, and Dr. Fan met with more than 200 new immigrants in the city and conducted a series of interviews between 1990, 1999 and the year 2001 with a group of 56 between the age of 18 to 50, these people came from 18 different provinces and municipalities throughout the country. Most of them had established themselves by then when uh, Dr. Fan had interviews uh, successfully uh, in Shenzhen after years of hard work. And they were truly a new generation of entrepreneurs, one may say. Among them, 25 had university education and eight were actually Communist Party members. And Dr. Fan made it very clear at the beginning of her research that her goal had been to examine how and why these modern city dwellers are attracted to the so-called new religions that flourished at the time throughout, the China, throughout China. And religious understandings and practices under study are not superstitious or anti-intellectual. They represent instead 
the benefits that they represent instead the beliefs embraced by the ordinary people attempting attempting to find meaning as they as their lives are caught up in significant transitions the experience that some of the interviewees had was rather violent internally one interviewee was born in a former red army family and showered with privileges in her youth she held the firm belief that she would be destined to become a glorious successor of the revolutionary cause her dream was completely shattered by by her late uh, later life experience and the end of the mao era left a devastating vacuum in her spiritual life the newfound fortune in shenzhen provoked her thinking did my success indicate a new purpose or goals for my new life as another interviewee who shared the same life experience uh, life change experience between the time when mao is the sun rising from the east and the 10-year cultural revolution and to the time period when to be rich is glorious and in his uh, in his new hometown shenzhen it is not so much so as he recalled uh, his lifetime uh, experience it is not so much so of whether one thing is black or white one can accept it as a fact but if one day someone points out to you that one can look at the same thing same issue from different perspective and in your, in your life you have never been exposed to such an alternative the effect can be overwhelming such a search for meaning in life is more private than public as dr fun's research revealed one of the interviewees used to be an engineer of a large state-owned factory. After he won a first-place national award in scientific and technological development for his work, many considered that he had reached to the peak of his professional career with the highest honor recognized by the state. But such a life incident triggered his deeper reflection about his professional growth personally which he felt that he it was not fully utilized all of the awards he had received by then were the results of his assigned job by the country as he quoted although he made his contributions it was not a personal choice thus his personal capacity and professional goals were not fulfilled to maximize his own capacity and fulfill his goals through complete and personal initiatives were his motivation to come to Shenzhen. In this new environment, he felt that he was no longer a nut and bolt of a gigantic communist state apparatus, but an individual who makes full decisions on his own which brings refreshing and innovative meanings to his life. Another interviewee, Mr. Zhao, was a former teacher from inland. In spite of the initial hardship, he was able to save enough money in three years and eventually opened his, uh, his own printing business. 
it expanded rapidly as demands in business increased. Before long, with his sudden wealth, he was able to buy a house and his own car. And while he was untroubled during the years of his life in poverty and struggle, he began to wonder about the meaning of life and purpose. Why me? Why has this good fortune been mine, while others, equally hardworking, continue to struggle with little success? He must confront the question of his own destiny, perhaps some unrecognized power or unseen force favors him, guiding his fate. If so, what responsibility is his? What must he do in response to this good fortune? In most Dr. Fan's conversations with his interviewees, one particular theme seemed to be predominant, the concept of fate in their lives. As Confucius said, as I put it there, which means the superior or learned man is quiet and calm, waiting for the appointments of heaven, while the mean person or little person walks in dangerous paths, looking for lucky occurrences. The expression of mingyuan in Chinese, fate, again, describes fate as both fixed and flexible. As an American theologian, James Whitehead, summarized, fixed, one's destiny originates beyond the individuals in the command of heaven. Yet flexible, it is also shaped by the particular movements of an individual's life. While one may be incapable of changing one's life in terms of his or her genetic inheritance or family background, which establishes one's mean, one should, on the other hand, engage him or herself in a lifelong discipline of self-cultivation that prepares one to embrace the opportunities that arise in and alter the course of a life. According to Dr. Fun, while reflecting upon their personal journeys and the meanings in life, many of her interviewees were able to recall some apparent chance events or fateful coincidence that led to the event change, uh, that to the eventual change in their lives. One woman uh, shared her life-turning coincidence. While one day or one year, and she was fully ready to realize her dream to study in England. All her belongings were stolen one day, including all her money and the visa. In desperation, he arrived in Shenzhen for help, only to be turned down by her boyfriend. However, within a week, she was able to find a, a decent job and move on with her own life. This rather coincidental event in her life led to her to the gradual realization that while she might be destined to endure the sufferings, her self-cultivation to embrace the opportunities ultimately turned her life around. 
In reality, the laissez-faire atmosphere of economic frontier and more relaxed social environment in Shenzhen also provided the newcomers with opportunities to review much imposed prejudice against religion and ultimately more tolerance towards pluralistic nature in this uh, religious nature in this cosmopolitan society, namely Shenzhen. As a Communist Party member, one interviewee used to hold a government job in a large city. One change he observed about himself was his attitude towards religion, which was gradually changing as he, his life continued in Shenzhen. Under the notion that religion is the spiritual opium, he used to be enthusiastically reject anything that may be even remotely related to religion or religious life, and turned completely blind towards the existence of religion, until one day he recalled that he passed by a huge smiling Buddha with a huge stomach and a broad smile. And on either side, and there's a couplet of the Buddha that reads, Laugh often with your smiling mouth. Laugh at those who are most laughable in the world. Tolerate more with your broad bosom. Tolerate those who are least tolerable in your life. As anecdotal as the experience may be, the man who later became a self-proclaimed believer of Buddhism said, this does not lead me directly to my transformation of beliefs, but indicates a gradual change inside me that begins from tolerance to the recognition of the fact that religion has its place in the society. From total rejection to gradual tolerance to his final embracement of a new spiritual life, this seems to be the journey that many interviewees have had. This self-conscious group of entrepreneurs, locked and battered by what seemed to be the fixed fate in the past with limited, if any, options, was stepping into a new phase of their life. In reality, the economic dislocation by choice has provided them with the opportunity to embrace a new course of life. And according to Dr. Fan, although many of her interviewees claim to be respectful of Buddhism, and some even claim to have been converted to Buddhism, they did not exhibit much desire to affiliate themselves to a particular Buddhist institution. And their pursuit of spiritual fulfillment was very much of a personal journey through readings that are beyond Buddhist scriptures and private prayers. They find as one of them revealed later on, that prayerful reading of these texts is essentially, uh, is especially consoling in one's, own, in one's own circumstances. For example, one particular kind of book that many of them read are called Shan Shu, and it's, it's hard to translate, and could be, it could mean good book or moral lifting books and that combines both Buddhist principles and Confucius' moral 
philosophy. And for example, this is one of them, and by this Yuan Dynasty, 16th century person, and Yuan Liao, Yuan Liao Fan, and four lessons, and in that, you know, how to achieve several particular goals in your life. Without any religious institutional affiliation, most of the interviewees did maintain their own spiritual network through some informal and regular gatherings in their daily lives. One kind of meeting place was a local restaurant owned by a member of the informal community, and all were free to attend and welcome to bring friends. Without any monk or clergy to lead anything, all activities were self-organized without pre-established rituals. And here is what Dr. Fan describes, uh, one of the gatherings, the physical uh, environment of this restaurant. Part of the space in the restaurant is dedicated to a small bookstore featuring a wide variety of spiritual-oriented titles. A bulletin board lists activities in which people may be interested in, a lecture in the area, a ritual gathering planned for the future, and ecological project inviting volunteers. Mutual sharing of life experience, understanding of spiritual texts, and discussion of participation of local charity events were usually the focus of those gatherings. Although Chinese Buddhism, which has been interwoven into the Chinese society, was the spiritual background of such gathering, the outcomes of such spiritual gatherings seemed to be more of social concerns and personal responsibilities. The owner also describes that his desire to own such a place is part of his spiritual practice. In addition to their own regular spiritual reflections, Dr. Fan also reported that these entrepreneurs, whose professional experience had brought much material comfort and financial prosperity they had never had before, were involved voluntarily in social practice of their spiritual beliefs. In addition to making regular charity contributions to the needy throughout the country, they would also regularly organize some social events, like the one portrayed here, called Free the Alive or Free the Animals, a widely practiced Buddhist ritual to let go of the captured animals, such as birds, fish, eels, turtles, whatever, so as to express their own social concerns and compassion towards the world. Meanwhile, Dr. Fan also noted in her research the absence of any discussions among her interviewees in regard to social justice and political reforms in the country. There may be many reasons that they may help explain why, which certainly certainly include the past life that th these people had struggled so hard to put behind. However, Dr. Fan suggested that through the centuries, the moral dilemma for most Chinese has not been, how should I be just, or how can I make the world more just? Instead, they face the challenge, how shall I live and find peace? in this unjust world. Much has taken place in the past 30 years in Shenzhen. 
and historical snapshots of the city tell some aspects of the profound change the city has endured, with the majority of its population being migrant workers, foreign and joint venture companies take up the majority of the business, and its unprecedented freedom almost for every aspect of its citizens' life, Shenzhen, after all, is not a typical city in China. By default, this first special economic zone was established as an economic development experiment, not as a hotbed for complete individual spiritual freedom initially. As much of a secularized urban center as it can be, what initially appeared to be an experimental base for economic growth created unexpectedly an environment that nourishes human spirit that has been deeply rooted in the Chinese tradition, but suppressed for decades, revealing again the interrelationship in any social environment between the basic needs and spiritual needs. Facing such a challenge, Dr. Fan indicates in her research that the significant number of people in China did not turn to institutionalized religion for refuge, but draw strength from their own spiritual heritage and apply that to their present life circumstances. For me, Dr. Fan concluded, the most significant finding of this research is that the deep religiousness of Chinese traditional culture is very much alive. Today in Shenzhen, Economic opportunity coexist with a new and exciting spiritual awakening. To this extent, the Shenzhen experience, as I call it, further affirms the notion that deeper understanding of the Chinese culture in the midst of the current social and economic development may help us all understand the process for religious enculturation in this country today. Thank you.